Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast this week, Jim Feng, is a clinician and an entrepreneur. He recognized that the pandemic changed everything, that to be able to access doctors and other healthcare professionals did not necessarily require attendance at a clinic. Here to share his experience is Dr. Jim Feng. Jim, you're very welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I want to begin by trying to understand some of the backstory. Tell us how you got involved in healthcare and why the particular passion for musculoskeletal conditions. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. I was just listening to a couple of the other op- podcast episode of them. And I think a lot of the founders who have been on the show are, are really um, inspirational. I guess I can start even back in high school where I was a wrestler. I was a varsity wrestler, same, same thing university. And, and one of the reasons why I got into muscle skeletal care was I literally like lived in a physio clinic all my life. <laughs> and the amount of injuries I had left, right, center had to, you know, back then I didn't, we didn't have too much money. So I had to take the bus, pick up my 13 year old, uh, my two year old sister who's 13 is apart from me and take an hour and a half bus to get to therapy two to three times a week and then go to wrestling practices, then come home and the dirty diapers had to change on the bus. It was incredible. <laughs> but I just felt going to multiple different tech clinics that there was great clinicians, there's terrible clinicians, and then there's good therapies and, and just really, really bad therapies. And one of the main things was the, the care that I was getting, I felt like that could, stuff could have been done anywhere. And the majority of the care that was really getting results for me was the the rehab side of things, the exercise, actually adding that hormesis to your body, really, really pushing your body to that nth level for it to change. So I became a chiropractor <laughs> about 15 years ago or 14 years ago now. At the highlight, I was working with the national wrestling team as well as the UFC. And I, I own an integrated clinic, so I franchised them at one point. But, you know, um, I just I just really wanted to find a better way to get to the masses. And we still have so many people in chronic pain that require more care, continual care. And it's not just about one-off treatments here and there. It's about the continuity of care and what you do at home. The amount of times you've been prescriptive with a piece of paper of exercises and you go home and not do them. <laughs> and I'm sure you can, I can... I can count every other patient who does that. But I really was looking for a better solution. You know, um, I started my technical career back in probably 2010 when we built one of the first electronic medical record that was cloud-based. That's how I kind of got my f- uh, feet wet, if you will. And then from there, I angel invest a little bit uh, on the technical side and really got deep on products. And then back in 2017, we built Fixable. So Fixable started as a virtual rehab solution before COVID <laughs> even hit. And of course, COVID really expedited our growth. Since then, we've been doing a lot more, including building stuff for the moon, eventually Mars, and hopefully going to space sometime soon <laughs> with the Canadian Space Agency. But uh, that's another story for that question, maybe. <laughs> Musculoskeletal conditions, and particularly things like low back pain and joint injuries, much more common. And, and you're also right, COVID changed everything. Because pre-COVID, pre-the pandemic, it was very much the feeling that you had to be seen in person 
by your therapist mm-hmm. in order to benefit from the treatment? No, I talked to all my colleagues and probably I've hired probably over 200 clinicians uh, through my lifetime and as well as mentored about three or 400. And they really think it's about them. We really think as a profession, it's about what we know, what we can do for the patient in the room. But it's not. It, the really good clinicians really understand it's about empowerment. It's really about under, and knowledge transfer. It's about empowering that human on the other side to do the right things when they get home. And we started in MSK, muscle skeletal care, but we, we you know, quickly moved to many other chronic diseases as well as just continuity of care and engagement, right? That is the key component of better healthcare. It's not the one-off thing you do. It's not the one time you eat better. It's not the one time that you go to the gym and run maybe five kilometers or whatever miles or whatever, depending where you are in the world. It's really the progression uh, of your health. And as we age, it just gets tougher and tougher. Your body gets less resilient. So how do you create better resilience? So I really want to figure that component out. And if we just do that and provide them with just a bit of really good knowledge and, and a bit of a kick in the butt <laughs> here and there, I think we can really create healthier humans. What fascinates me about your story, Jim, is that there are several things here that seem to be aligned. Number one, your interest in the clinical condition and you described being a wrestler and, and having to deal with that yourself. So that's the first thing. The second thing was becoming a clinician. Then it's about taking on those additional skills and underneath all of this is this drive for creativity and enterprise which seems to have brought you along this journey of finding a solution that potentially could be a game changer. Was there something that you had planned right from the get-go or did it just unfold as time went by? When we first started, I felt I was building multiple clinics and people would just come from all over the city and sometimes traveling between provinces and just to see us. And I was just wondering, how could we touch more lives and and get the same results, similar results as what we can do in a clinical setting. And our practices are very diverse. We're integrated clinics with different physios and naturopaths to, you know, medical doctors and, you know, trainers. We're inside of a 20,000 square foot gym as well. So there's, it's very interdisciplinary, if you will. And just looking for a better solution. And then I really, I really like your podcast, actually, the Health Design Podcast, because it really pushed me down this path of product design and just designing for that lazy human on the other side because we're all lazy. We're not here to expend energy if we don't have to. And in many cases, if we've done it once, um, it's really hard to pick up our fingers and, unless something really hurts to, to keep on doing it. So I think really good clarity around understanding outcome measures. And what, are the, what is the easiest, minimal, viable thing you can do for that human to, to get them the best results? I think that's the journey I was kind of going down towards. So we started with tons of content. We, even now to this day, we have thousands of pieces of content to amazing notifications at the right time with wearables to machine vision now. We have tons of AI that's getting dynamic progress you and really changing the globe in regards to an ecosystem in regards to how we engage with patients. Now, it started with one program. It started with low back pain. And it just like you kind of stated, eight out of 10 people have low back pain at some point. So I'm, I'm sure a majority of people on this call have had it at some point or know of somebody in their family who've had it. 
And there's only a handful of different types of low back pain. So we started there and, and we built a minimal viable product. And, you know, looking at and advising some of my other tech companies and doing some tech in the past, I just knew that it's built the most minimal thing to prove out one thing. And the key thing for me, it wasn't that, hey, can I do these sessions with them virtually and, and get them to move? I know I can do that and get them to feel better. That's not the goal. The goal was really how do I engage this person to continuously work on the program and continuously move up the program ranks, right? So there's a progression to the state of health. So for my low back patient, I want to see them to be able to do like a two-minute front plank, you know, a minute side plank, do a proper bird dog, you know, and be able to do, there's a couple of orthopedic tests we want to do that are negative. So just kind of pushing a program of care with great videos, countdowns, like make it super simple for them to understand, to get to the other side. So it, I, I wouldn't have went past that phase if we didn't get re good results there. And that took me, I, I probably scrunched up like 4K just to <laughs> quickly build this out, you know, using um, a fiber to, you know, get, get somebody to build it out. Actually, it was a group in Seattle. And so we just got to a point where we had 104% better in regards to discharges and from start to discharge, right? It, it, the national average, 70% of people drop off their treatment plans before they're fully discharged because of what I found, found out later. It really just came down to time and money, right? <laughs> you know, but it came down to time and money. And if the problem wasn't grave enough, then people are not willing to give up the time. And then, of course, as they're progressing along to, to a point, they're not really passing prevention because it just costs too much, right? It costs the system way too much. So we're able to do it significantly cheaper. If it's just them doing it themselves, it's almost 80% cheaper. And if you need a coach along, like a practitioner like one of us, then it's, it's a little bit more. But obviously, if it's, by being a digital manner, we can like really reduce the cost associated with when we scale it to a larger you know, company, right? So so we started really at that point. At that point, I was just like, okay, do we have something here? Am I going to progress and do something more? And it looked like the results were really good. And and from there, we we decided to raise a little bit more capital and, and build the next uh, product. The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and metal health. If I can quote to you BJ Fogg, who is a psychologist at Stanford University, he says that our behavior is a product of three things, motivation, ability, and trigger. Most people with a musculoskeletal <laughs> condition have some motivation because they're seeking help in the first place. The trigger mm -hmm. is to getting them to the point where they want to do something about their problem. The ability piece is the tricky part. It's what do I do in order to achieve these particular results? Now, as you say, people are time poor and they are less likely to invest in something that isn't giving them quick results. How have you tackled all of that? Trigger is, is really important. I'm no, and trigger on a daily basis to get engaging. And ability is really knowledge transfer and understanding. So we did find the coaching. We needed less coaching, meaning less one-on-one -on -one session. We do it virtually. 
but we're able to add the content component, knowledge transfer to the coaching. The coaching really drove motivation to, to continue on and to kick in the butt. And the transfer between low back working on their pain to actually prevention, which is really the core stabilization and movement patterning, that you're right. The trigger was a key thing there, as well as the, the motivation from the coaches, right? Along to kind of keep on pushing from one chasm to the next. To get them there, pain. Pain is a massive motivator. It's a massive, massive motivator. And you know, looking at all products, this is the pain point, I guess, right? <laughs> that gets people to the solution. So funny as really wasn't too hard initially. And I think as you progress as, as a knowledge transfer, you understand a little bit. But the toughest part are those little chasms where it just feels a little bit better, 300% better, but it's not fully there yet. And you need to really get to the other side. And that's where really good motivation and little, we call them interstitials inside the application and screens to screens that that the little little nuggets and little trails to let you know, hey, there's a reward at the end of the funnel. We implement, uh, implement a gamification within the solutions as well. If you work with some of our employers, now, depending on your outcomes and your scores on the preventative side of things, you actually get a reward. And we make those reward not continuous, it's it's at random. So there's random dopamine hits, right? So you want to have that, you know, those little tiny nuggets along the way to keep them moving. But I do find the the coaching side of things that human do want human interaction. So there's a tech component that can do a lot of the heavy lifting, but the the one off where we come in and we really train our coaches and our practitioner to be very engaging. And then and during those sessions, it's a little bit on the on the knowledge transfer side, but we pointed to back to the application because application has all the research led evidence and, and knowledge when it comes to that. But it really comes down to the nuances of the knowledge and how to apply the information. That's kind of where artificial intelligence and the, the content thing and stuff doesn't doesn't personalize for you yet. It's not there yet. It's, it might be coming soon, but it's not fully there yet. So that that bit of a punch in the face sometime, a kick in the butt, and just understanding the human condition and be on, on their side, being empathetic to them along the way is really important. But the triggers, again, that's their engagement platform. We really, I think, locked down a lot of the components of engagement, utilizing the same psychodynamic structures you you get with your Instagram and your, your Facebook and, and TikTok notifications at Infinity Scroll to do similar for your health. So I think if we add some of those components, Components and we know works on the other side to, to do it for health. I think I think if we do that correctly in our app, and we're not fully 100% there, we're getting there. But I think if we do that really right. I think we can we really have something that's different from anything else that's currently out there. We also know that equity and affordability are, are the also big ticket items in healthcare. How are you tackling that? Somebody might say, "Well, that's nice if you can afford it." But what about those people who say, I can't afford to be involved in this? From the access standpoint, you know, starting from ground zero, it costs a lot for us to get, you know, to somebody. But now it's significantly cheaper. It's almost uh, to get through a treatment plan, if you were from start to discharge, it's, it, it could be up to like 80% cheaper than the current solution because we just require less one-on-one sessions there's a lot more digitalized which is a lot more scalable than your traditional clinical models i mean think about your time to go to the clinic nine sessions on average are typical low back pain across the nation 
nine sessions and each session is going to cost you about two and a half hours so matter the time to get there to babysitters to you know traffic to everything else in between it's it's there's so much deterrent to not do it and then these problems just linger become a lot more chronic it's, and becomes a lot more expensive on our health system and and you know on the long run so if we nip it at the butt understand our outcome measure and measure it really well I think we have a solution can really, really save our health system a lot of dollars. And the beautiful thing about musculoskeletal care, a lot of the issues are preventable. And a lot of the issues are treatable just by exercise movement and using this, uh, a foam roller to a fixable, ball, we call it a massage ball, to be able to get to the nooks and crannies. We show you how to do that as well, to mobilization, to stretching, to you know dynamic functional movement patterns, many different things we can use as tools to, to get you there, but it really becomes a knowledge transfer. The other component is that majority of our the payers is actually on the insurance side. Majority of people are part of the, the benefit plans or the employees are starting to pick it up now. So that's becoming a, a preventative solution. We have a team of, they're called Victoria Order Nurses in Nova Scotia, and there are uh, a nursing company, and they have about 12,000 employees, and they're struggling right now with employees because the, the healthcare workers are just getting hurt left, right, and center, especially when they're working with the seniors. Their senior population is growing, but our population is diminishing. So, and the healthcare workers are extremely tough to hire these days. So we're able to significantly reduce a lot of their costs overhead just by implementing the work strong program with them so prevention is really the thing i want to do because by proper movement patterning you know functional movement patterns and properly lifting techniques and then building the strength and stability around it it really can i think change the game so um right now a lot of employers are picking it up no even on the on the on the um if you're going to pay out of pocket, it's still significantly cheaper than what you paid in clinic, you know, 30, 40%. So it's just because we can digitally, we don't have to travel either. The Journal of Health Design, fostering collaboration, amplifying the voice of health advocates, growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. It's interesting you should talk about employers because you are now talking about primary care. And there is an argument that, in fact, primary care is possibly better delivered at the place where you spend most of your time during the day, which is at your place of work. And in fact, employers have an inherent incentive to keep their population healthy, particularly, as you've described, nurses looking after seniors, making sure that they're lifting correctly, making sure that their musculoskeletal problems are dealt with quicker. Do you think that there, this is going to be the growing market for not only your services, but other services that uh, involve essentially what was being provided by family doctors? You know, we're seeing it. We've seen a massive boom, obviously, as you, you know, through COVID with Advent of Teladoc, Livongo uh, forming here in Toronto. You have companies like Maple. You have companies like Dialogue. So different ways to reach primary care practitioners, either being nurses or your family docs. But I think people want very similar interactions as they have with their friends. And they want it to be as easy as your Amazon return policy, right? To get to customer service. So 
it's moving towards that direction. And all the people we talk to here in, in Canada, anyways, we we see it. And I'm part of Startup Health, and we hear it there as well. Everything's moving towards patient-centered care. Everything's moving towards, hopefully, more towards value-based care. And and I think I think just because we're so used to picking up our phones and WhatsApping or you know, Facebook messaging or just iMessaging, that we want similar results when it comes down to your healthcare practitioner, looking for a quick answer. Not everything we need to go spend so much time, take time off work to go to my family physician to get a quick answer to say, hey, is this lesion look right to you? My, do I need to get something for my sore throat? Like, and especially if not doing a swab, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I think a lot of the primary care solution can be done just tip your fingers or just with one call one virtual call away so where to from here for fixable you've you said you started off and you were focused largely on back pain where are the other areas and what other areas of growth have you seen that would support your business we're actually in the middle of a a pretty large contract with the canadian space agency they have a partner with nasa as you guys know uh, jeremy henson just got named one of four astronauts going to back to the moon. Really excited for that. <laughs> so we're building uh, something called a C2M2. It's a connected medical pod. And uh, what it is, is think of a, a massive shipping container. And it's built for uh, to be deployed anywhere in the world. And uh, hopefully at some point to the moon and <laughs> to Mars. And it's a medical facility that's broken. Ours is broken into two bays. It'll be living at the Canadian Space Agency starting July, and we'll be showing it off to everybody. But we have robotics in there. We have autonomous triage systems based on our dedicated AI. We have a partner called Micron Digital, and we have a dedicated comorphic AI. It's nothing like you've seen in the world. A lot different chat GPTs. Uh, it's foreseen, it's actually predictive, and very specific to medical at this point. We've built machine vision system that's part of the whole triage systems. We have, uh, you know, many integrations in the pod. So the pod has about uh, 30, has about 30 uh, solar panels integrated into power walls, touch screens. Um, you have uh, water boilers, so some catches rainwater as well. So you can deploy this in any area that requires emergency care or just comms. We have a whole mesh network that we built as well. That doesn't require GPS and for motion detection as well as networking. We have onboard servers. Integrated devices a key one too. So we have this integrated with Comos ultrasound and um, US2 with their AI-based ultrasound. So I can do it now. An echocardiogram in the pod. So imagine you're in, in Timbuktu or Nunavut or in somewhere in Africa and you have a, a nurse, no practitioner want to go up there to work, but you have a nurse in there and that can support the patient there with telemedicine anywhere in the world. And now you're able to use these devices for remote monitoring, and you can use these devices for diagnostics in real time. So you can do an echocardiogram, get the results right away. The, the AI can actually translate the results right away. It's secured on the fixable platform, and it's fully interoperable. So we built actually a device that actually can translate interoperability to HL7 fires with the best standards in the world. So it'll be a middleware for all hospitals, hopefully by the end of the, starting at the end of the year. So a lot of great, crazy technologies in there that's really going to enhance better care virtually and digitally. We're in a time right now, today's May 15, 2023. 
you're literally in a time right now, whoever's listening to this, that you're going through a massive transition in, in digital period and, and, and healthcare because you know, healthcare is one of the things that always or, or lasts a change, right? And there's so much red tape around it, but you know, it, it's going through a massive shift right now. And I think COVID was a, a trigger for this. Now, artificial intelligence is the next trigger. So, so we're, we're building a lot of artificial intelligence when it comes to healthcare, uh, progressing the better, uh, better hair and more accurate care as well in conjunction with human care. So it's not just itself. I think it's a combination of really good physicians and practitioners and healthcare workers utilizing health, artificial intelligence tools to, to get us to a better state of health. And if we can tie back the engagement, all the health stuff and the, and the daily activities to, to base your posture, we have even a posture program, to posture correction, to diabetes care. We have a CGM that's integrated with your exercise movement. So imagine staying in range for longer AI-based stuff. So really cool care where the fixable platform now becomes the place for the patient to understand their human health. It, you know, from the physical side of things to the emotional side of things to the, you know, the internal regulation side of things to really encompass a biopsychosocial model of care. That is my goal to get to, right? And we got a lot of moving pieces now and we're working with, I think the one, some of the best people in the world currently on the solving this problem. And if I can really have that one place where you, all your health records in the, in the same place, you can make better decisions as a practitioner, a patient, and you can provide that information to different practitioners that you're working with. And we're speaking the same language in regards to interoperability, then I think we really can solve for human biases and <laughs> flaws. <laughs> so I think we're in a really good time. Canada and Australia have one thing in common, very large rural communities, very large remote communities and to service the needs of those communities we do need a solution that doesn't just involve producing more doctors to go and work in those communities so perhaps what you're describing might be the case that you put one of these pods into a rural community and at least some of the more emergent situations can be handled relatively safely the pod is probably the the bigger thing can drop in there but the components of it can be distributed in, in existing clinics as well. But but I think allowing better ways to, to monitor and to diagnose and to also point of care solutions right there and then where people don't have to wait. And if you can get somebody on the phone to talk to, why not do the assessment there type, type of deal? Why, why is there so much time wasted between the person in, in pain and, and discomfort to getting to a proper diagnostic and, and getting better solutions. I, I think there's better, a better model out there with Canada being a universal healthcare model. A lot of dollars are being wasted right now. We know a lot of dollars are being wasted. <laughs> and there's a lot of politics around it. If we're, you know, start from top of row, so there's, a, I think there's much, you know, better ways to design the health system to a point of better efficiency and effectiveness in what we do. What you've described is a very, very exciting future for all of us, starting from where we were 10 years ago, pre-COVID, where everyone who had an illness by default ended up in a clinic. Mm-hmm. You've built on the changes that we've been able to facilitate in pandemic times with increasing access to doctors. And as you say now, with AI, 
to create something potentially that is a game changer, where we are talking about, I love that term, minimal viable product, something that potentially could really help people to stay in their homes in even the remotest location. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was fun. The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.